Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the podcast today. Katie and I have the great privilege of seeing and answering some of the questions that you have asked us. Again, we always love doing this because it's a fun insight into what you are you know, going through in your life, what some challenges you're having in your home, some breakthroughs you're experiencing in your home. And so we glean a lot from these Q&As, and hopefully you do as well. If you enjoy this podcast, please as we've asked you numerous times before, and I'll ask it again, please go over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. That means so much to Katie and I, and we, we literally do read each and every one of those. And, uh, there's no like back and forth chat on that situation, but just know we appreciate those so much. So thank you for doing that. And uh, again, just anytime you engage in the YouTube video, if you haven't subscribed to this YouTube channel, please do that. I don't think there's anything else I can ask of you at this point. So we'll just go ahead and start the episode. Yeah, we want to do, we, we want to do, we do want to give a huge thanks to all of you who have recently gone over and left ratings or reviews because dozens and dozens and dozens of you have recently. And that just means so much because like we've said on the podcast before, it, it is so hard to go leave a review on a podcast. Mm. Like it's just something I haven't done on some of my favorite shows. And I can wow. get convicted when we ask for ratings or reviews. I'm like, I need to go do that because I really do appreciate that show. So anyways, thank you guys. It really means a lot because I do know how it's kind of an annoying thing to add into your day. Yes. The Now That We're a Family Podcast. All right, Katie. Well, I'm just going to dive into some of these questions. And so here we go. Okay, let's get started. How do you justify a holiday slash break when the work just never ends and there's so much to be done? That's a good question. That's when you need the break mm. more than more than anything. That's when you need the break is when the work never stops. And I think you will see this in what... Elisha and I refer to as the entrepreneurial time system. We got this from strategic coach and Dan Sullivan. He's a business coach and he really breaks down how high achievers consistently, regardless of what is going on in their lives, work very, very hard. They focus very, very hard and then they rest very, very intentionally. And that is what enables them to function at such a high level. And if we're constantly on this hamster wheel of doing the same things over and over and over and never putting these breaks in our day or in our week or in our months or in our years, then we do not operate at a very high level. We're constantly going, but at a very low functioning level. And we see this all the time in scripture. Um, this is a biblical concept, right? Of the biblical Sabbath, where you take a rest for one day a week. Also the biblical Sabbath of the, the seven year farm rotation, where on seven years or every seven years, you're supposed to let your land rest for a year. And you would look at that as like a product you know, production expert and be like, well, I can get X amount of bundles of grain this year if I keep going, but it wears your land out and it fatigues the land and it fatigues you. And so it's better, like it yields higher dividends in the long run to take the rest. Amen. Yeah, man, hundred percent agree with everything you just said. <laughs> Did you add anything? I no. kind of went on a soapbox. That was great. No, I feel like the question itself gives the answer as to why you need to rest. Cause it says, 
how do you justify a holiday or a break when the work never ends and there's so much to be done? You're thinking that's what, like you said, that's why you need to rest is because the work never does end. It, it's, it's continuous. And also just again, going back to the Sabbath thing, uh, it's crazy how it is such an acknowledgement of our need for the Lord to bring, bring the increase, you know, obviously is it, so Psalm 110 that says, unless the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Is that labor in vain that build it? Is that Psalm 1? Psalm 128. Psalm except 12, the Lord. Or 127. 128. Oh, boy. Psalm 127. Except the Lord build Seven? the house, they labor okay. in vain that build it. Nice. Luke gave me the thumbs up on 127. So. <laughs> but going back to that, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain to rise up early to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for lo, he giveth his, his beloved, beloved sleep. sleep. Um, but anyways, remembering that is so crucial. Unless you rest, you don't actually get to practice believing that. If you're always staying busy and busy and busy and busy, you really start to rely on your own understanding and your own efforts to accomplish anything. And by obeying the Lord when it comes to hit the, the Sabbath and rest, you're saying, you know what, that's right. Any increase, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And like, unless the Lord build this house, I'm going to be laboring in vain. So I'm going to set aside an intentional time to acknowledge the goodness of the Lord, how he's the giver of every good gift, how I'm wholly dependent on his grace and mercy and provision in our life. Uh, and then like you said, the rest comes from that. You get clarity. And then when you go back to work, it's so much more effective and so much more efficient. This happens time and time again, where you and I will be tempted to skip a Sabbath. We're like, boy, there's like, this is a big work. We've, we've got a, we're, we're launching something new or whatever company was just here and we missed a day of work. Like we should probably just, you know, not, not Sabbath this, this week, but we do it. And it always brings so much more clarity to what we need to be doing and what we need to prioritize. Cause I think that's a huge thing is that when you're always busy, you often lose sight of what the priority is. And then when you have these forced breaks or holidays or rests, it really puts to the forefront of forefront, forefront, of uh, your mind, what the true priorities are. I think this goes for a business professional. It goes for people in any profession, but I think it especially goes for a home to let the home rest, to reset and, and, and then go back to, to the flow of the life. Yeah. You're able to zoom out and get clarity and realize, Oh, those 20 things that I was going to do weren't actually going to move the needle in the way that I needed them to, but these two things really will. So Anyways, Elisha and I really break that down uh, in the growth initiative and the Get It All Done Club from a homemaker's perspective and then also just from a man's perspective with um, building a business and leading a family and all that because it is so vital and it's so backwards with what we think mm. is going to make us more productive or have us, you know, wrap up the to-do list faster. Yeah. Amen. Okay, here's a question. How do you deal with family who doesn't respect your boundaries? And that's the specific question. We've gotten a lot of questions about just dealing with family or friends or in-laws, all that stuff. They have different values, you know, they, and they don't respect your values to a point of honoring you in your decisions. So what would you say to that? Well, what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that we both saw our parents do is they, they made hard decisions and they're willing to have hard conversations with family members uh, that ha share different values. And they, again, I, I say that and throughout all those hard conversations, through, you know, strong convictions, my dad, as far as I know, has just a great ongoing relationship with all of 
his siblings and in-laws. Again, as, as far as I know, it's like, I don't know the intricacies of all the relationships that my dad had, you know, in my younger years, but, and I would say the same thing from what you can tell of your parents. Mm -hmm. Like there was a lot of hard conversations from family members that did not share your convictions or your values and they did not respect your boundaries. And again, I think this is incumbent upon the man as the head of the home, taking in that, taking on the responsibility of protector and, uh, providers like protecting the home, the home, protecting the culture of the home and saying, no, maybe it's an in-law, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your siblings, you know, maybe it's cousins of the kids being like, no, they're like, we're not doing the sleepover. No, we're not coming over. If you're going to be watching that movie, you know, no, I don't like it. And I'm saying it in a very kind of mean way, but being able to say, no, you know, it's just not helpful. The music that you play in your home and having those conversations, I think face to face in real time is helpful. Um, well, and sometimes you don't have to say what the issue is. Yes. You know what I mean? I think if it was us or if it has been us, we haven't said directly what the issue was. We just kind of come up with some excuse why it's not going to work out. Yeah. Unless it's like a consistent thing and you feel called to speak to them about it, you know, yeah. then you don't always have to let them know straight up why it's not going to work out for the kids to be over there yeah. or whatever. Because we do have influences in our life right now <clears throat> that we have not had conversations with because the way that they want to raise their kids is their prerogative, mm -hmm. but we just aren't comfortable with the influence of so-and-so's family on our kids. And yeah. so it's not like we're going to go address the way they're raising their kids. Yeah. It's not a sin issue. It's just kind of like, eh, I don't like what your kids say or what they watch or what they talk about. It's a little like above the level of our kids' ages. And we'd rather keep our kids' innocence for a bit longer. And mm -hmm. so we're just not going to facilitate that relationship. But we we don't go into reasons why. Yes, I agree. I mean, I feel like that's 99% of the time. You yeah. Can, you can solve the issue that way. It's yeah. just kind of like finding alternatives or finding other things to do or other things to talk about with these people. I can see if it's a reoccurring event though, where maybe one of your, the, one of the grandparents, they always want to watch them on date night and they watch them say, Hey, please, you know, don't watch any movies or whatever. It's like, and they always watch movies that maybe you're not comfortable with. They put a movie on and each time you're like, man, why did you do that? You know, like we, now they're having these scary dreams or now they're saying things that are not helpful to our family and it's just a reoccurring thing. I think that's when you need to be willing to have a hard conversation in love and then make a change. Be like, Hey, I think we're, you know, going to find different babysitters. And then something else I think is helpful too, is if you feel like you need to avoid, um, like your kids being exposed to different things that are within families, like with, within a family member, say you've got a, a family member that's living a lifestyle that's not Christian. And you're like, I don't want to expose my kids to this. How do I maintain a healthy relationship with them is so I think you can, you can do that as, a, as an adult, like you can call that sibling or that cousin or whoever it is. You can write letters to them. You can go to their events. If you, if you're comfortable, you know, as long as it's not like a bunch of debauchery, like you're like, okay, I can, I can do this, but you can do it in a way that doesn't necessarily expose your kids to things that you don't want them to be exposed yeah, to. Yeah. Like if on. you know, you're going to a wedding and there's going to be like a lot of drunkenness at the wedding or mm -hmm. something like that, you could just go with your spouse. Yes. And not bring the kids along. Right. Yeah. That's a good example. Yeah. I think something too that we received really good advice from my parents on maintaining relationships that you want to maintain, but you don't feel like you can maintain them in the way that 
that person wants them maintained necessarily is to get on the proactive side of it and be like, okay, what are ways we can show this person we love them? Instead of just saying no to all their invitations, how do we invite them to things that are on our turf, right? Or how do we call them or write them letters or send an anniversary gift on the anniversary? Like what are ways we can show we love you, we value you. And so then we're, you know, depositing into that relational bank account. So when we have to make a withdrawal and say, oh, that doesn't work for us right now, or that's, you know, not going to be something that we do with our kids. It's not like you're already on ground zero. Mm. You have a little bit of cushion there in that relationship and you're able to navigate it with a little more love with that person knowing, oh, you definitely care about them. Um, it's not just like you're sitting over here with crossed arms judging everything they do. Yeah. You know, because no one wants to feel that way in a relationship. Yeah. But I, that's so yeah. good, Katie. Proactive communication oftentimes solves the problems before they even arise because you're out proactively showing them what you care about, what you value, and you're leading in that relationship. Oftentimes it becomes the problem when you 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 haven't been consistent in a relationship and then they ask you things and you're only saying no and you're only not attending. And we've experienced that yes. and it does not feel good <laughs> for you or the other person. And so anyways, that's something that's been helpful for us with relationships that we want to maintain. Again, like a familial relationship, but that one that it's not going to be just full steam ahead either when it comes to our kids interaction. I do want to just circle back around to what you mentioned though at the beginning, which is the protection of the children in the home comes way beyond being on everyone's good side. Mm. And often as parents, we have to make hard calls for our families and hard calls for our relationship. And it's worth the temporary pain to continue to maintain that relationship, not cut it off, but have that temporary pain. And over time, yes. you have a lifetime to show that person that you care about them and build build the relationship. So even if it's like a little stressful there and maybe you're, you aren't letting your kids hang out when they're eight and 12 years old or whatever, you can always, um, have that be healthier down the road. And I've experienced that with a lot of my cousins. I grew up very differently from them. My parents were kind of blackballed for, the way that they were raising us. And it caused a lot of conflict because we were a lot more, you know, protected in like a little bubble, right? Where we, we couldn't do the other things that our cousins were doing. And now I have amazing relationships with those same cousins. My parents have been able to relate, um, maintain relationships with their siblings and it all worked out down the road. You know, I've had good cousins be like, or good friends now that are cousins be like, I always thought you guys were so weird and now we have this friendship and it's so great. So don't be afraid to lose the temporary respect of other people to do what the Lord is calling your family to do. Hey, you guys, I just wanted to tell you real quick about my homeschooling course, Homeschooling the First Three Years. It's all about laying a foundation of joy and confidence and fun and simplified homeschool in your home. So if you're in a place where maybe you're considering homeschooling your kiddos in the next few years, then this course is for you. It's gonna break down not only what we do for homeschool in our family and what we've done for the first three years in homeschool, but it's also going to show you exactly how 
how that looks. So I'm going to take a camera around with me vlog style and show you how does it look to homeschool with a baby? How does it look to homeschool with a toddler? How does it look to homeschool multiple grades at one time? How do you navigate um, different learning tendencies? How do you navigate your learning style as a teacher? And how do you motivate children and get them to love learning? I love homeschooling my kids. One of my favorite things that I get to do with them each day. And it's something that I want you to love doing with your children as well. So if you look down in the description box, you will be able to find a discount code where you can get a discount off of homeschool the first three years. And I really hope that it blesses your home. Yeah, that's good. Okay, here's one just for you. Just for me. Katie, how do you stay so positive and not have self-pity? Okay, Elisha read this one to me before we started. It was one of the ones he read to me. And I was like, that is so easy. I have a good life. Like, there's nothing to pity in my life. I don't know what I would do if I sat on the couch and thought of how would I pity myself right now? So I feel like that should be asked to a different person mm. because... I'm really, really grateful with the life that I get to lead. And I genuinely don't know how I would, what I would pity myself for. Yeah. I mean, you've always been so mentally strong since this is a trait. This is a strong Johnson trait is the, your dad's mantra. Since as long as I can remember is, um, tell me if I get this wrong, but the greatest sign of maturity is being able to return to joy quickly after experiencing disappointment. Yes. Yes. And that's something that you grew up with and you learned how to return to joy quickly after experiencing disappointment. And the reason I, I say it's because it's pretty cool to think of that being a skill and something that you can learn to do. And of course, you know, joy is one of the fruits of the spirit that we get to experience when we're in Christ. Um, and so it should be something that's like, yeah, I can access that fruit. You know, it's the spirit of the Lord dwells within me. And so it's a part of walking with the Lord is experiencing that joy. But I think you can practice and flex the muscle of like walking in it, you know, of living in it and of really um, believing it, believing the Lord for what he's done in that. And you've done that. And I think you've taught me to do that too, because I used to be like, if something bad happened, it's like, give me a week, you know? And um, not that I've had like really bad things happen in my life, but things that were a disappointment, basically a personal disappointment thinking, boy, I thought that was not going to go that way, but you are a pro of this and you're an inspiration. Well, I do feel like you return to joy very quickly. And again, this isn't just like power of positivity, put on a smile and pretend like nothing's wrong, forego all your emotions. That, that isn't what it is. Joy is not necessarily perfectly synonymous with happiness. It is kind of a mind over matter of choosing to walk in the spirit after experiencing disappointment. And I remember when you said that really good. I don't think I could have said that, like, quote as well as you said it about the whole joy thing. Oh, your dad's quote? Yeah. Well, he, you, he said it to me so many times, I feel really? like, in our dating, during our dating relationship. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to squash this hope of yours. and <laughs> You've returned to joy. Yeah. Show me how mature <laughs> you are. Yeah, he first found that when I was like 14 or 15. And I remember I was devastated. We couldn't go to this party. And I was like crying. And he pulled that out. And I did not want to hear it. But it has since become a family belief system. And I do like that because you have that positive peer pressure of, okay, this person is flexing this muscle better than I am. Hmm. They're returning to joy. I'm wallowing. I need to get over this. 
And um, because disappointment's a big part of life. But Mm. yeah, I feel very, very abundantly grateful for my life. So. Lisha's just going to watch a little video no, while we're on air here. <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. Um, okay. Advice for a couple struggling to set up a budget. What would you say? What would I say? It's funny because I think that we don't give ourselves very much credit for the whole budget thing. But when I thought back on this, I was like, you know, we've done some pretty dramatic things for the sake of living beneath our means. And I think, you know, Dave Ramsey's awesome. Like we love his principles and we went through the financial peace stuff on a road trip one time and that was extremely helpful. Um, but then I think stuff that we both just came into marriage with was just the, um, that, well, the principle that I already said is it's just, you live below your means. And I think we did say no to a lot of things that were challenging to early on in our marriage because just knowing where the, knowing like we weren't going to, you know, put a a trip, like a vacation on a credit card. We weren't going to put Christmas gifts or birthday gifts on a credit card. And it's not just because, oh, credit card debt's the worst. I think we understood that that just leads to more living beyond your means, you know? Well, I <laughs> like, have, yeah. I have a smirk on my face because for the first year of our marriage, we couldn't even get a credit card. That's a good so point. So <laughs> there was that because neither of us had any credit. And it was, you know, you need credit to get credit. It's a very tricky situation to be in. I still don't understand that advice Mm -hmm. that you and I both got growing up. Which is like pay cash for stuff or? Which is a good prince. Like I get the principle of like, don't buy some, don't buy something you can't afford. Yeah. Like that's a really good principle. But I did getting married and trying to get a home loan, trying, like you said, just to get a credit card. Getting into our apartment rental. Like you need credit, Credit. people. (laughs) And it's like, here we are thinking we're the most financially mature people we know. We're like, we've got all this money in the bank. And they're just like, you have zero credit. You can't help you with anything. (laughs) I remember trying to go to Les Schwab and purchase windshield wipers on credit so that I could like, we could start to build credit somehow. And the lady was like, oh, you can't do that without a cosigner. And my dad had always told me, since day one, I will never co-sign for you. I will never co-sign for you or any of your siblings because of, you know, that thing. And there's all those verse, verses in the Bible about um, he that hateth surety ship is sure. And, yeah. And so he just really wanted us to know we were on our own and not come banging down his door in that way. But I remember being so frustrated, like, well, why didn't you help me build my credit then if you weren't going to help me sign? Because I can't even buy windshield wipers. Uh-huh. Anyways, we finally figured it out with a secured credit card and everything. And it took us years to be able to buy anything it on did. credit. But Elisha and I came into marriage with a lot of things that I think we probably took for granted. Like you said, when it comes to finances and people ask about finances and stuff, I'm like, I don't know. Like, we just... It hasn't been a, um, I guess we haven't gotten in a lot of holes or like big ruts in our marriage because I think a lot of things were just assumed and we both assumed the same things. Oh yeah. Like we, we're never going to put anything on a credit card that we can't pay off immediately. Yeah. Um, we aren't ever going to live above our means. So if we're making a thousand dollars a month, then how are we living on a thousand dollars a month? Yeah. You know, like... That was just our mindset. Yes. Yeah. And I think we both knew too. Like we just can't from like, afford it if we can't pay for it. Yeah, exactly. And I think we both knew from our, our dads or whatever, our families that 
you will always meet the level of your income. Like your lifestyle will always meet the level of your income unless you're intentional not doing that. Like, and so that's where I think the, even more so than the credit card debt or paying that interest and all those things. Yeah. That's a bummer in, in and of itself, but the habit of living at that lifestyle is actually what's hard to break. Cause yes. you say yes to like, okay, we'll, we'll put this whatever item on a credit card. Well, now that's just, that's the standard in your brain now. And the thought of going below that standard feels like you're depriving yourself and you have to really like retrain your brain. I think we are both very aware of that because of the principles of growing yes, up. Yes, they talked about that a lot growing up. Yes. So like in our first apartment, almost everything in our apartment was free. Like we found on Craigslist for free or got it from someone for free. We picked up, you know, couches on the side of the road, which were probably disgusting. But yeah, we tried to clean them. But yeah, <laughs> probably, it's, it's pretty nasty. That's what we did. I know. So I still think the most we talk about taking this video down all the time. But on the YouTube channel, the most viral video we have was me like reupholstering a, a free old chair. chair yeah yeah and so but that was like our life at that time yeah. um was just doing things for free because we didn't have the money to do anything else yeah i still remember the first piece of furniture we bought what was when it when we moved to centralia i think it was that oh, dining was room it table. table yeah yeah it was a big deal yeah it really was to buy a new piece of furniture was crazy yeah. at that point we had our third baby and um yeah that was the first piece of furniture yeah, so, so I don't know if those are budget tips, but well, I do think just like yeah. principles. Like I think we live by more financial principles yes. than we went through a season during our first couple years of marriage where we did do the envelope system for budgeting. Oh, that was great. And it was. It worked mm. out really well. We did a lot of like $25 date nights because um, dating was still a priority to us. And so we really enjoyed making that work. And... Um, but that's been the only time we've had a really strict budget. I think that really most of our arguments with finances is, have come from how much we're saving. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like when I look back on those, especially like those first few years, it wasn't like we were arguing on the side of like debt. Hmm. We were arguing on like, Oh, I want to spend money on this versus I want to save that five hundred dollars. Sure. Yeah, and yeah, so you're right. And I mean, I think even every I I the fights came too. I think because and this this is there's probably some commonality in, in relationships. People can probably relate to this. That's what I'm trying to say. I liked I like a lot more of the day in and day out little expenses that I thought proved my quality of life. You know, a coffee, for instance. Like I want to go to the coffee or shop. eating lunch out. Or yeah, exactly, and. And, and I think you were more prone to, well, what, what would you, I don't even know if you like had a propensity in spending at all. Cause that's something that was a huge blessing. Yeah. I mean, with, you know, I would want like a new rug for our living room or something. So it's like a hundred bucks. Sure. Yeah. You know, so they're a bigger, it was a bigger expense. I don't know if you can remember exact expenses that I had. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. But I, I think, do think they were those type of things. It was yes. a bigger chunk all at once. Yeah. And that was, I mean, again, I had to. Because boy, do those lunches add up, and like uh, to my defense, I I still think that like because I would buy a cheap coffee drink, and so it's like I'd either get a drip coffee for two dollars, or I'd get just an espresso for three dollars, and the amount of satisfaction and pleasure I got out of that 
I don't regret. You know, no, it's really, but I do regret. We I do regret. We were newly married, and I didn't understand how much pleasure you got out of coffee. <laughs> I wouldn't try to do that now. But at the time, I thought it was a very unnecessary part of life. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm it sorry is about unnecessary. That. And but yeah, I, I I do. When we did that envelope system, that was really empowering because we were able to be so proactive. And that was, I think, when I really started to count the cost on like, oh, a twelve dollar lunch. Man, like I know how many dollars is in that envelope. And I might want to spend that on something else, you know? Yeah, it really it really did away with a lot of arguments. Yes. I will say that because we both were very clear on here's the cash in your envelope. And so we I stopped nitpicking Elisha for all his little things. He had his coffee envelope, which I know it's pathetic. That's what we were fighting over. But, I mean, from my perspective, I was like the lame, naggy wife about that. But, like, then I wasn't stressed about it anymore. Yes. And he was able to enjoy his coffees. And I... I'll, I've mentioned this before, but I'll never forget during that season, Elisha gave me an envelope for my birthday. I This like makes me emotional. And I think it had like $37 in it or $27. It was like a odd assortment of cash in it. Well, I think I wanted it to be $50, but I kept wanting to buy a coffee. So I kept taking it from, <laughs> from it before your birthday came. But yeah. guys, this is when I have like a shark eye on anything online. Like you can't just go like get a $50 deposit from the oh, bank. Right. You know what I mean? Like he had to take that cash from other places over time to have it build up. And he was like, you could go do whatever you want. And I went to the thrift store and bought some clothes. And it just was like so sweet because I don't know where he could have found that money. And I don't know. It really makes every dollar really sweet. Yeah. And you know what was actually helpful in that season of doing the envelopes with the cash? Because obviously the... The big friction point is like who uses cash anymore? Like who has cash? Who gets paid in cash? And at this point, we would go at the beginning of the month to the bank and get that. I can't ever. I can't remember how much it was. Was it like twenty eight hundred dollars? I think. I, I no. It had to be under twenty four. Twenty four. So maybe yeah. it's say it's twenty four hundred dollars. We're like, this is what we've maybe got 21. for the month. And then of course rent was 1115 so you take that out and i mean you guys oh it was, it was less than that no it was like 1100 dollars that we get in cash and then because that was like spending for groceries and like discretionary stuff because our rent came out we were living on 2500 dollars well month. no we paid cash and we paid rent in cash oh you're right uh, we're getting stuck in <laughs> here. This my is word. <laughs> you know we sound like we're like 70 year olds yeah. trying to tell a story this is, this and everyone's just like okay we do not care yeah anyways well, okay. the point <laughs> is we were living on about $2,500 a month at that time yeah. and so we took out however much we needed and and it was a sweet time now do I love that I mean am I grateful we don't do that anymore honestly yeah but it is a good thing to know you can go back to and it is always a good thing to remember, too, that living expenses do rise to the level that you your income rises to. So, like, if we got um, had an extra $500 coming in a month, we would immediately have to start saving that money and not living on it if it was going to actually boost our savings. If, if we just started living with that $500, then the next month we would, we uh, would have no money to yes. save. Yeah. Exactly. And then the other thing is, is like you buy a nice piece of furniture and then all your other furniture looks super shabby. So you have yes. to buy another 
nice piece of furniture. Well, that's how you feel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's how you feel. So as everything gets nicer, everything gets more expensive and it, it's just like a bad spiral. So sometimes like keeping the couch with a rip in it that we have right now <laughs> can kind of help everything else. Yeah. It balances it all out. Yeah. Cause we've had that where we've, we've like redone a room in our house and then all of a sudden it's like every other room in our house looks like a pile. We yeah. need to redo this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, I, those are just like concepts. Money, money, mindset. Yeah. Somehow, though, since day one, you've made our home homey and cozy. That's a huge blessing. I'm grateful for that. I like to paint things. Yeah, paint does do a lot. You, Paint's that was... an affordable way to cover a multitude of sins. Okay, um, what, what was I going to say here? There's a question. This is for you. If you homeschool through the morning, when do you get chores done? Uh, that's a great question. So homeschooling at my kiddos ages we're doing maybe three hours a day and that's split between breakfast lunch a little 30 minute chunk in the morning and maybe 45 minute chunk in the morning and then 45 minute chunk during naps and so it's not like there's a lot of hours left (laughs) I guess and I don't have a ton of chores I will tell you this the more you're outside the less chores you have to do inside the house because when my kiddos make messes like they take out the mag tiles, then they put all the mag tiles away and we put them up. It's not like they're just banging around the house, destroying their rooms or anything. So there's a lot of things that make this more simple, but I would say like I clean up the breakfast after breakfast. I clean up after each meal. It only takes about 15 minutes. Um, I deep clean on Fridays before our Sabbath. So that means like bathrooms get done and extra laundry gets done and stuff like that or before someone comes over to our house to eat those are the two times when I kind of do like a big deep clean Um, it really doesn't take any time at all to tidy our house it's like 10 minutes 15 minutes and then with the laundry again laundry doesn't take that long when you actually do it now I do let it pile up sometimes Uh, unfortunately, but I'll just throw in a load here or there while I'm doing something. If when I'm really on it, I fold a load before breakfast and then that keeps me on top of it for the whole week. But I have to be really on top of that, like fold a load before breakfast. But I think that's pretty much it. Like, I think that's pretty much the chores. Nice. Leon waters the garden sometimes. Elisha waters the garden in the evening. I don't know. If you keep a really low profile home, then it doesn't take a lot to maintain it. Nice. Okay. What do you think, or what do you guys, what do you guys think about dancing? Dancing at weddings? That's the question. What do you think, Elisha? Yeah. I mean, I think it really depends. Uh, we don't, we don't have like a, a fundamental disagreement with dancing. Like we've done, do we? I mean, maybe. No, we, we yeah. don't. It just yeah. kind of makes me laugh because the very first wedding I ever left because with my family growing up because of dancing was a Voberg wedding. Oh, is that right? <laughs> That's funny. I didn't know that. Yeah. My dad was like, we're out of here. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just kind of ironic. Yeah. I will say that, um, it wasn't cause of the Vopergs. Yeah. Well, I think I, what I care more about than the, than dancing is really, I think the music that's being played, which often yeah. is going to like inform the dancing, you know, or inform how people are going to dance. Um, so, yeah, I will say this. Since being married, I've become less and less comfortable with the majority of dancing, like at weddings and stuff like that. I think I used to not think about it, not care. Um, but 
Yeah. If it were up to me, I'd probably be like, yeah, let's just not do dancing. Or, I mean, I know this is like way old school, but just do like swing dancing, you know, like play music that's where you're playing the, the, the 50, the big band swing music, um, and do that and do some waltzes. Um, once it becomes the freestyle with modern music, it's like, man, what, what modern freestyle dancing isn't a little bit, you know, I guess, it's harder to control because yeah. you can, I mean, maybe you have a bunch of people just having a good time and then you have two guests that are out there that are just kind of making it uncomfortable for everyone else. Yeah, they maybe know, they're getting they a little too, too sensual. Yeah. It's like they know too many real dance moves. <laughs> yeah, like. exactly. Like they went to Brom or something. Yeah. No. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. But I think, I think that like music is something we could settle on. I think if you control the music, you control the dancing where you can't control the guests at your wedding. If, um, you know, there's this big beat to the music, then you can't really help who's going to dance appropriately and who's not. And so it's a lot more of a toss up in that scenario. Yeah, I agree. And, and either my standards have gotten a little bit more strict or culture's gotten a little bit more flamboyant and liberal with their dancing. But I, I will say, the last couple of years, like when there's been dancing after weddings, I'm like, what the heck? Like, <laughs> I think it's time to go. Uh, but so, we do, we, I think it's fun to do like waltzes or swing dancing. Or, yeah. We usually get in there, especially yes. like I think of, you know, who nailed it with their playlist Who was, it was actually your sister Kimberly put it together, but it was for your brother Baylor's wedding because oh, you're right. That, that was, was such a fun playlist because that was such lighthearted, fun, innocent songs that really induced that type of dancing with, with multi-generational, they were old people, they were kids, they were, you know, it was still really peppy and upbeat, but there was like some line dancing in there, fast swing dancing. Yes. Some waltzes. There were some few, a few like free freestyle songs, I would say, but maybe it was just a great group because I felt like everyone was just really appropriate at that wedding. And it was really fun. Our kids love it. So they always oh, go running yeah. out there and just our hands. They're like Elisha was when he was single before yeah. I married him and toned him down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think you can probably usually get a pretty good idea of what the dance is going to be like based off of like how much alcohol is available, you know, after the wedding. Yeah, and if it's too. like, and that's probably a good reason, big reason why that was such a fun dance is that there was, there was no alcohol at that wedding. Mm-hmm. And it was just like a really fun but I mean, I feel like there hasn't been alcohol at a lot of weddings that we've gone to where I still feel like I haven't loved the dancing. Yeah. Again, this is since being married because when I was single, I would just go out there and have a good time. Yeah. You know, and when you're on the, when you're just dancing, you aren't thinking about it when you're on the outside looking in. Sometimes you notice more yes, <laughs> who's I being think, appropriate and who's not versus if oh, you're just yeah, in the mosh participating. Pit, yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's it. It's a, it's a, it's a gray line there. Yeah. How about, how about this? Um, how do you approach next question? You ready? Okay. <laughs> how do you approach the next question? Uh, how do you approach your spouse about working on marriage if they don't think it needs work? I mean, will you need to approach them and say, hey, our marriage needs work. <laughs> if one spouse thinks the marriage needs work, then the marriage clearly needs work, right? Because 
I mean, and then it all just comes down to how you approach them because you don't want to set them off from the very first and antagonize them. Hmm. So you have to come in it very graciously. I would maybe get clear on what you specifically think needs work in your marriage and be like, hey, I'm, you know, Elisha, I'm not feeling very prioritized in this season of life. And I know you have a ton going on and there's so much on your plate and I don't really know if this is just a seasonal thing or if, you know, or, and we're going to get through it. And then you feel like, okay, we can go back to like having our conversations together, hanging out. But I don't, I don't know why, maybe I'm just emotional, but I'm just not feeling like very loved right now or appreciated. Is this real? <laughs> no. This isn't real. But I'm saying. You're a really good actress then. Because <laughs> no. I was like, I feel like this is I the conversation like... we're going to have after the podcast. <laughs> no. I feel very loved right now. Um, anyways, so, you know, just bringing it up from a like, hey, can we work on this together kind of way. And there have been times where either you or I have brought up like, I feel like we're hitting a roadblock in this. And I don't know what to do. I feel like we keep having a circular conversation. We aren't having breakthroughs. How would you be comfortable with us getting help to navigate through this situation? Hmm. You know, like, are you comfortable calling someone that we both know to get a third opinion Mm -hmm. or bringing someone into this? Or should we just really sit down and try to get to a solution? Um, You know, but like approach it from like we're on the same team here. Yeah. And, um, yeah, how you start the conversation is going to go a long ways as to how it's received. Yeah, no doubt. Like, I mean, I think, like you said, starting from the standpoint, everybody uses this analogy, but it is always so helpful to visualize it, that you're on the same side of the table. You're like, you're not across from each other on the table, arguing back and forth. You're on the same side of the table and that you're addressing the problem on the table. Like, let's work through the problem here on the table. Um, and so I think having that mindset is helpful. And then, yeah. I mean, I can't. Dis- I agree with everything that you well, said. Well, what would you say? I mean, well, no. I guess the the first thing that came to my mind is that hundred percent, hundred percent solution your parents talk about all the time, is. And this isn't negating anything that you said. I think you should approach your spouse. You, I approach you. You approach me. This is a very. We've got like a very open line of approachment. Approachability. Yeah, when it comes to, yeah, it comes to feeling like we need work in our marriage. And, and that is something that actually has grown over time. I think because we've developed more of an open mind, it's gotten easier and easier. And you trust the other person when they come to you and they say, hey, you know, like if you were to say that to me, I'd be like, okay, I, I know that we're on the same team here. I know that you're not just looking to, you know, ruin my life and make me feel bad about myself and try to make me, you know, put more into this marriage than what you want to put in or anything that might come into your brain. Which like for the first six months or year of our marriage, it was like, Okay, that went really poorly. I would come in like antagonistic, blaming you, you know, and then you'd shut down and be like, I'm not going to talk to you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And then it's like we find ourselves at the same roadblock a month later. And, you know, like lots of trial and error on how to communicate through this stuff in a way that makes your spouse open to receiving it. Yeah. And I think just with the hundred percent, hundred percent solution thing, really with anything in, in marriage is it's, it's crazy how many problems are solved even without bringing the spouse into it, but by taking a hundred percent ownership 
Yeah, you're saying. And right. saying, what what can I work on? Like, where am I at with the Lord right now? Get get in the Word, you know. Take care of you know, set your mind on things above. Whatsoever things are true and lovely, of good report. Think on those things. Um, honestly, just stuff that like will even when we're not together in person will make me like refall in love with you. It's just like listening to old songs that we listened to when we were dating. And that, that I think it's so interesting. Like, who did you marry? You know, like what, who is this person that you married? And I get sometimes people do change for the worse after marriage, but a lot of times it's like, they're the same person in a lot of ways. A lot of the things, maybe a lot of things that you are attributing to being a nuisance or a, a struggle in your marriage, things that have been there all along. Um, and so you're coming to them, trying to motivate them to change in something that like three years ago, I was like, well, this, you know, this wasn't an issue. And so there has to be a level of like coaxing, you know, of, of, um, of really, yeah, motivating them. But well, yeah, I don't know what else I was saying about that, but I liked your answer. So no, I like what you were saying with that when it comes to, um, working on the marriage, sometimes we see, our spouse and they aren't growing in the ways that we want them to be growing in. So we're like, therefore they're resistant to growth in our marriage or something like that. Where really it's just like, that's just, that's always been who they are. And if we feel this fresh wind of I'm inspired to grow in my marriage, then taking that and internalizing it and seeing what are some ways I can go into overdrive and really just win this man over or win this woman over and just really make them be like, wow, she has grown so much. I want to grow like that too. How can you kind of just inspire instead of being like, well, I read this marriage book and I'm inspired and you should be inspired too. And you aren't loser, <laughs> you know, like that's not going to be real motivating. I also think just from the tone of this, um, or maybe the way it was just phrased, it's definitely assuming that the other spouse doesn't want to grow, right? Um, how do you approach a spouse about working on marriage if they don't think it needs work? Yeah. If they don't think it needs work. Yeah. So how... Like basically they're content. Yeah, basically the they're content in their marriage. So that's wonderful if they're content in their marriage. And so the issue is like you're discontent in your marriage. So by default, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's great. I don't know if it's great if one of the spouses is is content and like the other one's not. Yeah, Yeah, because needs are not being met. Yeah, so I think it's a communicate. It almost sounds more like a communication issue of you need to communicate how your needs aren't being met, and let them know that clearly. Yeah, Um, be like, and honestly, (laughs) I'm gonna point you guys to Marriage Maximizer, which I don't even know if it is open at this point or not on now that we're a family.com but in there my parents it's my parents marriage course it's incredible so many of the breakthroughs that Elisha and I have had have come from things that they teach and one of those things they have a one-way breakthrough conversation and that whole system if you follow it step by step you're able to communicate clear to your spouse and make sure they clearly hear you and understand what you're saying when it comes to these pain points. Because I think oftentimes in our marriage, a lot of things can just be, I'm saying something and they're hearing something else. And so they come away being like, I don't know what their problem is. And I'm like, I was not heard or understood and we're back where we started. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that could be really helpful. It sounds like you need to be very clear on communicating to your spouse 
these are the pain points. And then also in that one-way conversation, it tells how to say, if nothing changes, then this is the worst case scenario. And you're able to paint for your spouse like, this is leading to a lot of resentment or bitterness in me, or I don't want to open up to you, or this is affecting our love life, or this is affecting, you know, and show them kind of what's at stake. Yeah. If, if nothing changes. Yeah. I mean, that, I, I couldn't agree more. The communication tools are so helpful because I think we oftentimes assume that just because we are with, we've been with our spouse for a certain amount, of, we'll assume that we'll get better at communicating just because of time. That doesn't happen. Like you don't just naturally get better at communicating with your spouse. In fact, a lot of times you can get worse and worse and worse and worse because they're changing, they're, you're changing, stuff's changing, and you haven't actually worked on communicating. Or hurt and bitterness builds up. Yeah, exactly. And so like you said, by you coming to me in a certain tone, I will just constantly, or, or sorry, I will just immediately assume you're something from four years ago, you know, or assume it's been the same thing for all these years. And you're like, this is something completely different, but what I'm hearing is not at all the point you're trying to make or what yeah, the issue is. I think is. we were both kind of scared of that, like maybe two or three years into marriage where I think you told me like, I just don't see this changing. Like we keep doing the same things. Yeah. And when you're newly married, you're really hopeful that like, oh, it's okay. Like you have this grace. We're going to get better at that because mm. we've only known each other. You know, we've only been married for six months. We're going to get better at this. We're going to get better at this. And then when you've been married for three or four years, it might, seem more hopeless than it seemed at the beginning because it's like I'm still getting offended in that way or we're yeah. still having these conversations that aren't going anywhere you don't feel that way now no yeah but I but, but again there was a like season where those, it felt kind of hopeless like that yes we've been through seasons like that and I do think these tools that you walk through actually equip you to communicate better mm-hmm. and and because of those I feel like we we're, we're capable of now communicating in more effective ways than we were able to five years ago and it just wasn't because of time it was because of working on it and learning some of these skills yes we will have marriage maximizer linked down below too it's a product that we created with my parents we aren't on it we just we just said hoorah go you (laughs) and help them get it out there to you guys um it has been closed for the summer, but I think it is going to be open at the end of July for enrollment again. So check down below and that link will be there if it is open. Hmm. How about a couple quick ones to wrap up with? Okay. Okay. One, with baby number five coming, are we planning on buying a new car? Are we? Are we? No. I mean, right no. now, the Ford Explorer is going to fit all five of our children. It, yeah. does, it does technically have five seats in the back. You know, one of them's the hump seat. It's like half a person can sit there, but all our kids are tiny. They don't mind climbing over to the back row. Yes. And Elisha and I, if there's one thing we hate, it is buying cars. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Good answer. Uh, another question. At what age do you teach your kids to wipe? <laughs> what age? Wow. Okay. So, um, here's the deal. Or maybe they said, let your kids wipe. They said, maybe at what age do you our let your children- kids wipe? are very, very independent and very big problem solvers. I I laugh about this because I think necessity forces them to do this because I tell, well, one, there's a lot of them. And then they were all little independent at the same time. And then two, I just am big on getting done. Like I'm pretty busy during the day. And so I'll tell the kids like, if they call me to wipe them, I'll be like, okay, I'll be there in just a second. 
I'm going to finish this up first. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's because I'm nursing or doing something. And sometimes it's just because I'm finishing up a project. So our kids just (laughs) figured it out. I haven't taught any of our kids to wipe. I don't know when they started wiping themselves. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything about it. Uh, So yeah, they're just all all fluent wipers we hope <laughs> well we bathe them i mean we're able oh, to yeah, get no. insight I mean, into i am aware effective. of how clean my i, I yeah. do their laundry <laughs> we bathe them yeah. their bottoms are clean okay it, yeah exactly they're well, doing a good job yeah and, and i i'm with you i'm always surprised <laughs> when like they'll be going to the bathroom and they get done i'm like did you did you wipe yeah i'm like uh, really like you do you know you do i've always been caught off guard i mean when, we do know too because the toilet gets clogged sometimes yes so I we know they're using that. plenty of toilet paper <laughs> but i will say we do have kids that are stoked to do things on their own i don't know if well, that's they just all are that way and i think it's kind of a nurture thing or lack of nurture <laughs> no, <laughs> no i think it is versus a nature thing because we get stoked out of our brains when they learn to do things on their own and yeah. we celebrate it like when they climb in and buckle themselves up in their car seats we have like a party like we yeah. give them high fives we're like no way they buckle that. themselves up when they're like 18 months 19 months like they learn how to do the buckles Lips. they really want to do it yes. and they do a good job like they know how to pull it up yeah and we it's always check enough. it obviously yeah um but and then same with getting their clothes on like that's just one of those things that we just celebrate when they figure it out because that's a huge time saver like yeah if you have you know three kids two and a half and under which we had then and four kids, four and under, you really want one to get their own undies on. Yes. And that is a huge winner. Put their own coat on. Yes. So oh, they all, all get the, themselves dressed shoes, from the time they're all, two. Oh, yeah. They tie their shoes really young. They, I mean, they just, I am shocked at the things. What did Leon do the other day? And I was like, well, at least he's a problem solver. Do you remember yes, that? Yes, it was something with the with the dirty clothes, like... Oh, it was the yeah. Wash. Okay. So sometimes they come in. <clears throat> sorry. Sometimes they come in to the laundry. I come in the laundry and all my laundry has been taken out of the washing machine and dumped on the floor because the dryer's full. And I'm like, what just happened? All my laundry's wet and on the floor. And I look in the washing machine and it's going and it has his two favorite pair of pants in there. And Leon's six and he went down and he threw his pants in the wash, took all my laundry out. I was just going to wash his pants. And, but that's just like our kids. I have to laugh about it, even though I get annoyed sometimes at the way they solve the problems. I'm like, they just figure it out and solve it. And that's something I like I think we both highly value that is people who are just problem solvers and don't have a victim mindset and just like figure it out. And so, yeah, sometimes they figure it out kind of in weird ways and we're kind of like, what on earth happened here? But then I always have to just be proud of them in the end. Yeah, me too. All right, well, let's call it. Yeah. Do you have any more? No, I mean, there's a bunch more, but there's... We're ending on a wiping question. Yeah, that (laughs) would be a good way to just wrap this thing up. Folks, thank you all so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, give it a thumbs up. And hopefully next time you see Katie in this podcasting chair. I will not have a bowling ball in my stomach. Yeah, we're getting we're getting close to baby o'clock here. So Lord willing. Yeah. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.